This is episode 35 of the Popcast. Hello, welcome to the Popcast, the pop culture podcast from Vernacular. We're your hosts, Maureen and Josh Goldman. Each week, we'll dive into the latest in pop culture with our three regular segments. First, the snack bag, where we cover some smaller stories from the past week. Second, the marquee topic, where we dive in-depth into one pop culture story or event. And third, the teasers, where we give our suggestions for pop culture content you might have missed, but should definitely check out. Hello, honey. Hi, honey. 35 episodes. 35 episodes. I I only missed one when I was really, really sick. I think this is the first time in 35 episodes I've referred to as honey. Honey, honey. Another week, another winter day, another pair of shorts for me, and another... Full. I'm in like a long sleeve shirt, long pants, and a robe. And I'm in shorts. And Josh uh, just like has a hot body temperature. Like he just <laughs> runs hot. You have a I, hot body. Josh just has a hot body, everyone. Okay, save that for after the podcast. This week, we have something special for the snack bag. So normally on the snack bag, we talk about a variety of topics from the past week. But this week, because the 91st annual Oscars are this Sunday, Very exciting, February everyone. 24th, we are doing an Oscar-themed snack bag tonight. So we're going to talk about an actual news story that broke in last week since we recorded our podcast last. And then we're going to do some predictions in the major categories and then tell you what our favorite movies of the Best Picture nominees were from this past year. So first, the news story. Last week, we reported... We didn't report. We just commented on the fact that... <laughs> Breaking news. This just in from the podcast. We commented on the fact that four of the categories were not going to be televised during the broadcast. Well, after much, much feedback. <laughs> much Twitter hate. <laughs> not just Twitter hate, but but things from actual celebrities and living film legends, directors, actors, cinematographers... They decided they are going to air these four categories. So we are back to airing all 24 categories live during the broadcast, which means almost assuredly that the broadcast will not be three hours long. It will be longer than that. So I don't really have much more to say on that. I think it's good they put them back in. I think that if they want to do something like this, they need to think it think it through more before they make it public. They've and then had a rough, a rough couple months. Rough like, couple I feel months. like they're just struggling in the PR department. So there's no host. There's turmoil on the actual show. I'm not sure how it's going to go. I'm excited to watch it. It's one of my favorite things to watch every year. We're going to get our Chipotle and we're going to sit down. We are? Yeah. Oh, okay, guys. We're getting Chipotle. We're going to put our little child to bed at 730. We're going to be ready for the show to start at 8. Oh, are we watching it live? Yeah, we will. Oh, commercials. It's the Oscars. You never watch commercials for anything else. Our child will probably be singing to himself for an hour or two like he has been doing lately. Tonight, he's just singing. You are my sunshine. He just sits in his bed singing. He's very cute, and it's very nice that he can self-soothe like that. But sometimes it takes him an hour of just singing to himself and and saying, Mommy and Daddy and me and Alo, who is our cat, Oliver. So anyway, we'll be watching. And then next week's marquee topic will be a full dive into the Oscars from this year. Let's talk about the Best Picture nominees. Maureen, you have seen six of the eight. Mm -hmm. I have seen all eight this year, which is the first time time I've seen all the Best Picture nominees in a couple of years. But let's talk about your ranking of them from worst to best. 
So you've seen six. So the two you haven't seen are Roma and Vice. So, so we'll just put those at the bottom. We'll put those at the bottom. We'll put an NA next to them. Not applicable here. But the other six. Okay. Give me, give me Top from... favorite. No, no, no. Go, go the I other way. I don't want to go the other way. Okay, well, I will go the other way, and you can go from Fine. top to bottom. My top favorite is A Star is Born. Okay. Love, love, love. Obviously, love B. Coops. Love Gaga. Cried the whole time. Love it. Let's save our convo for A Star is Born for a little bit later, because that's our marquee topic this week. Give me your number two. Number two, I think probably Tide, Green Book, and Bohemian Rhapsody. Okay, so those are overall enjoyment of the film, or you thought that they are the best? These are the ones that I personally enjoyed watching. Okay, got it. Okay, so tied for second, we have Bohemian Rhapsody and Green Book. And then, so what's number four? Black Panther. Black Panther, okay. And then you have two left. I mean, the favorite was fine, but I wouldn't watch it again, ever. I would never watch it again either. Yeah. So you would put so Black I didn't Klansman love the, I liked before, Black Klansman. Yeah. before the favorite. Black Klansman is rated a little bit lower just because it was so uncomfortable to see that racism, which I think is a really important thing to do on film. But like for an enjoyment purposes, it was like... Oh, this is so awful and depressing. The favorite is the bottom no matter what. But I'm just saying the reason Black Klansman wasn't like number two or three. Right. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to go from my least favorite to my favorite here. So starting with number eight, the favorite. That is my least favorite as well. It's not the favorite in this It's not the favorite. Maureen and I saw it separately. We both saw it, but we saw it separately. I saw it first and I I texted Maureen almost immediately after said that movie stunk. And I think that was a little... I liked it a little better than I think Josh. that was a little hyperbolic. Yeah. The movie doesn't stink. It's very well done. The acting is very good. The The technical production is good. I just didn't like the story. And and there was no ending. And, there, and the really ending was... Like yeah, the Meh. ending is, is mediocre. My number seven is Green Book. And I think that oh. I liked the film... And my number six is Bohemian Rhapsody. So I, so they're towards the bottom of my list, and they're more towards the top of Maureen's list. I think that I found enjoyment in both of those films, but I think that I've been influenced by reading all of the controversies surrounding both of the films more than Maureen has. That has colored my perception of the films in a way that I don't know if it would have had I not read any of this stuff. So, that, so Green Book is number seven. Bohemian Rhapsody is number six. Number five for me is Vice. Which is okay. It's not as good as Adam McKay's previous film, The Big Short, but it is good, and the acting is is very good in that. Number four is Roma, which is a hard film to watch. It's another one that I probably won't ever watch again, but it's extremely well done. The acting is terrific. The direction and cinematography and editing is all amazing. And one of the coolest things about it is how the director, Alfonso Cuaron, sort of recreated 1970s Mexico, which is really neat. Number three for me, Black Klansman. And now Maureen, number two. What do you think it is? I think your number two is A Star is Born. Oh, wrong. My oh. number two is Black Panther, which I which I think is very, very good. It's one of my favorite Marvel movies. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that it's much deeper than a superhero movie. It, it touches on a lot of issues that most superhero movies don't touch on. And I think that's really cool. My number one is A Star is Born. And we're going to talk a lot about... Which is about, why we watched all of the other three, which yes. we'll talk about in the marquee topic. Yes. So that is my ranking. I don't think A Star is Born is going to win. Oh, but I but wish it would. But that leads us into our final snack bag topic here. Maureen and I are going to give our predictions for the six biggest categories. So that's supporting actor and actress, lead actor and actress, director, and best picture. You might remember from our Golden Globes conversation, we were very poor yeah, in we our Golden Globes off. predictions. We only got two of seven correct Samsonite. there. Samsonite. I was way off. 
So name that movie. I have no idea. Okay, Josh, I will tell you next time. Everyone listening, if you can name that movie, my brother should be able to. If you're friends with us, text us. And if you don't know us personally, leave us a message. Yes. Okay, okay Maureen. Who is your prediction for supporting actress? I think this one is one of the biggest up in the air. No, you right go now. first. You go first. Okay, so let me read the nominees for everybody. Amy Adams in Vice, Marina de Tavira in Roma, Regina King in If Beale Street Could Talk, Emma Stone in The Favorite, Rachel Vice in The Favorite. Okay, so this one I think is the most up in the air of all of the major categories. And oh, this is tough. You just this got is tough. It's just I'm gonna a- go with my gut. I know it has no we have no stakes here. I'm going to go with Amy Adams for Vice. So I'm between between Regina King and Rachel Vice. Regina King, I think, is probably more likely. But I'm going with Rachel Vice for some reason. Rachel Vice did win the BAFTA. She, she was the best part of the favorite, in my opinion. Supporting actor. Mahershala Ali for Green Book. Adam Driver for Black Klansman. Sam Elliott for A Star is Born. Richard E. Grant for Can You Ever Forgive Me? And Sam Rockwell for Vice. I'm going to go with Mahershala. I'm going to go with Mahershala as well, although I think that if there is an upset, it could be Sam Elliott for A Star is Born. You might remember a couple years ago, everybody thought Sylvester Stallone was going to sweep through and win for Creed, and then Mark Rylance came out of nowhere and won for Bridge of Spies. Is that the one with Tom Hanks? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I loved him in that. I was so happy he won that. Okay. Lead actress, Maureen, the nominees, Yalitza Aparicio for Roma, Glenn Close for The Wife, Olivia Coleman for The Favorite, Lady Gaga for A Star is Born, Melissa McCarthy, Can You Ever Forgive Me? Who's your pick? I'm going to pick Gaga because I really want her to win. Wow. Okay. I'm going to go with Glenn Close. Okay. Lead actor, Christian Bale for Vice, Bradley Cooper for A Star is Born, Willem Dafoe for At Eternity's Gate, Rami Malek for Bohemian Rhapsody, and Viggo Mortensen for Green Book. I'm going to go with Rami Malek here. I think he's going to win too. I think he has he has all the momentum at this point. He's won almost every major award. What I want to say about this category specifically is that I don't think he should win. And I am fully on board the Bradley Cooper should win best actor train. All of these people played real life people except for Bradley Cooper. He's the only one who played a fictional character. So Rami Malek and Christian Bale played characters that there is a lot of Video footage, video that, they footage could watch. that they could watch and potentially copy. Now, I'm not saying that that's not difficult, but what Bradley Cooper did, and I rewatched the most recent A Star is Born just today, what he did in that movie is nothing short of amazing because I also recently rewatched him in The Hangover and he is completely different in that movie. He, he completely transformed himself in a way that is just head and tails above these other people in A Star is Born. I don't think he's going to win, which is sad, but, you know, it is what it is. Best Director, Spike Lee for Black Klansman, Powell Palakowski for Cold War, Yorgos Lanthimos for The Favorite, Alfonso Cuaron for Roma, Adam McKay for Vice. I'm going to pick Spike Lee. Wow. Okay. So he could win this category. He could be an upset here. I think he might win Best Adapted Screenplay because he's nominated for that as well. I think the Academy recognizes that he should have been awarded and hasn't given him an award yet. But I'm going to go with Alfonso Cuaron. I think he's won every major award at this point, and I think that he will be on stage a couple times on Sunday night at the Oscars. Okay, last one, Best Picture. Just to remind you, the nominees are Black Panther, Black Klansman, 
Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favorite, Green Book, Roma, A Star is Born, and Vice. Maureen, what is your final pick? Lock it in right now. I don't know. This one is really hard. I think this one could go a lot of different ways. I think it could too. This could be like a La La Land Moonlight situation. Hopefully not. Hopefully we don't have the wrong envelope being presented. I'm going to go with Roma. I think it's going to be the first foreign film in the history of the Oscars to win Best Picture. I won't be surprised if something... I'm going to say Bohemian Rhapsody. Wow. That would be a shocker. I think that would be a real shocker. I think I wouldn't be surprised if something like Green Book won. I want Star is Born to win. It could. We talked about the preferential voting a couple weeks ago, so it could go that way, but I don't know. Okay, we've locked in our picks. We will let you know next week how we did. I'm guessing not super well again, but we will see. So tune into the Oscars on Sunday, February 24th, so that you can be ready for our conversation next week on the Popcast. Okay, that'll do it for the snack bag. Josh, Before we move on. Do you think that we should hear from one of our sponsors? I think we should. Let's do it. Do you ever listen to an episode of the Popcast and think, man, I'd love to give podcasting a try? Or maybe you think to yourself, that Josh, he's a hack. I could do my own show about pop culture. I'd want to keep Maureen, though. She's great. Well, I've got good news for you. Anchor, the very platform we use for the podcast, is the easiest way to make a podcast. Their platform is super simple to use and gives you everything you need to make your show in one place, either on your phone or on your computer. And the best part? It's completely free to use. They have the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast, and they'll take care of distribution so you can make your voice heard everywhere from Apple Podcasts to Spotify to Google Podcasts and more. You can also make money from your podcast and get this, there is no minimum listenership required to start making money. So what are you waiting for? Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Okay, back to the show. Marquee topic this week, we are talking A Star is Born. And as I mentioned on the podcast last week, not just the most recent version of A Star is Born, but Maureen and I undertook a quest to watch every iteration of A Star is Born. That's four of them. The first one released in 1937, and then remade in 1954, 1976, and then most recently in 2018. For those of you who don't know, each film has been heavily lauded and all have received Oscar nominations. The first actually won an Oscar for Best Screenplay. The second was nominated for six Oscars, but didn't win any of them. The third won for Best Original Song, that was Barbara Streisand, and the most recent as we mentioned, has eight nominations at this weekend's Oscars. So if you haven't seen any of the films or if you've only seen one or two, here's the general premise of the films because they all follow the same general pattern. And we're not going to give any spoilers right now. We might later, but if we do, we'll warn you. So a young woman with dreams of stardom and a career in the entertainment industry, it's acting in the first two movies and then singing in the second two movies. Singing in the second one too. But really it's acting. I mean, she's act, she's singing while on film. Yeah, but the he discovers her for singing, and it's her voice. Anyway, yes, singing and acting. Okay, so that person who's looking for stardom meets an aging and alcoholic fading star who then propels that new person to their own stardom. So that's the basic premise. It's the same in all four movies. The first film starred Janet Gaynor and Frederick March, both Oscar winners back in their day. The second starred Judy Garland and James Mason. The third starred Barbara Streisand and Chris Christopherson. And as we've talked about a lot, the most recent one starred Lady Gaga 
and Bradley Cooper. So the first thing I want to ask, first of all, I I have to admit, I'm like a star is born out at this point. We've watched four of them. I've, I've watched all four in the last like week and a half. And I think that's like enough for me for a little while. But are you a fan of the story overall? Like starting even back from the very first one, are, is it? Do you find it to be an interesting story? Yes. So I feel like I need to. We need to give a spoiler to comment on like the full story. Okay. So here's your spoiler warning. If you want to watch these films or you want to watch one of them, this is the a same, very obvious spoiler. So but you the, may already. The know same this. thing happens in all four movies. So if you see one, it's not really a spoiler for the other ones because it happens in all of them. The basic premise is that you know they meet the man it's always the man who's the aging alcoholic star gets you know helps the woman to get discovered and then she becomes a bigger star than him and he ends up killing himself in the end so if am i a fan of the overall story i think the concept of meeting someone and like believing in their talent and like helping them to get shepherded along and then them blowing up and then the other person having to deal with that is really interesting to me so overall i like the story it's just a little hard because it's a very toxic relationship in some ways. Like it's this hot and cold, like fire and ice. And it's this, they're passionately in love with each other, but he never really treats her super well. You can, you know that he loves her and like there are things that he does for her in all of the versions. But like, it's one of those things where if this girl was your best friend, you might be like, you're better off not being with him. He's going to like drag your heart through like. Through the ringer. Yeah. Okay. So with regards to the story. This is something that I found really interesting having watched them all in a row. So we started with the 1937 version, then went to 1954, then 1976, and then I watched the 2018 version again most recently. I do think that the story has evolved in its complexity of the romantic relationship because I actually found that they took a lot more care with the love interest angle in the most recent one than they have in any of the other three. Okay, so this is very interesting because I think you're definitely right, but I also think we watched these movies all in the span of a, sh- a you know, a week or two. It was a very interesting commentary on what was acceptable to talk about and portray. It, it was like a study in societal norms. What is the what is the right word for that? Not ecology. What is that? What is the study of the people? Physiology. Sociology? No. Oh, sociology. Physiology. I don't know. <laughs> We've both forgotten how to talk. Sociology. Anthropology. Is that what I'm thinking of? I don't know. Just just get somebody to... correct okay. me. Anyway, the point is that you're basically looking at like societal norms. Like in the first one, like they're passionately in love, but all you can see is one kiss that's closed mouths, right? Because this is 1937. Yeah. So it was a study in like that evolution of like, oh, now it's the 70s, and like we're allowed to show like, I did they show a sex scene? They were allowed to show something yeah, I think so. like, and obviously Gaga and Bradley's was the most explicit. But I mean, I, I'm I'm talking about even more than like what they were able to show on the film. I think that you understand more in the most recent version. But I think it's because they show it. No, I don't know if that's not true. Just because this, Not just about like physical stuff, but about... Because here, here's, here's the point I want to make about the story. All of them start with the two meeting and then him propelling her to stardom. But the one, the thing that the most recent one does is it spends a good 10 or 15 minutes after they first meet, but before they even consider the fact that she might become a star, they show the two really connecting. Mm. And they show them connecting in a way that feels very real. So it, it doesn't feel like it's movie dialogue. It feels like how you people... Can, you believe they really right. love each so other. Right, so there's a scene in the most recent version where they're in a bar and Bradley Cooper is commenting on Lady Gaga's nose because she's mentioned that that's the reason she's never been taken seriously as an artist. It's just so it's it's weird enough to the point that you're like, yeah, I could see that awkwardly happening the first time you talk with someone. It's it's just 
seems natural. And I feel like well, they, they spend the time up front to develop that that makes you believe that she could actually like him. Because in the other versions, I don't I never bought especially in like the 1954 version with Judy Garland, I did not understand why she was interested in Norman Maine. Yeah, he was the lamest of all four of the actors playing the main guy. He was like not physically attractive. He was old. He had like a faux British accent. Even though he's really British. There was nothing that was like... But what I'm saying is I think that's a lot to do with the fact that the, the screenplay and the story didn't allow them to to build any type but of also, relationship wasn't it cut out of that one there were parts that were cut out and we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute but i just feel like that is what makes the new version really really good is because they spend a lot of time developing the characters and you believe in them and you care about them as characters and in the other ones it's more about the performance I or becoming it in the 70s version the scene uh, where he okay. like he, she, they go back to her house he tries to invite himself in she's like no thank you you can come back in the morning and we'll have breakfast he waits around for her they have a lot of like witty banter that i th- i found really authentic well i think the problem with the 70s version is that i didn't think that barbara streisand and chris christopherson's chemistry was that good i never i didn't believe that they cared for each other in the same way that i really bought into the chemistry of lady gaga and bradley cooper okay i have to say something because and you're entitled to your opinion i don't know that i necessarily felt the same way i think that i believed their chemistry in the in the streisand one and the most recent one the two most recent ones but what i was going to say is that it's like a study on people and what was allowed to be seen and what was like etiquette and what we're allowed to talk about what's pc it was also a study on filmmaking and like the way the films were made, the way they were shot. I would argue that I think that it's easier to relate to the most recent one because it is of our time. It is the way we talk now. It is the way we dress. It's the way we look. Like Josh, Barbara Streisand has this crazy perm and Josh kept saying like, that is hideous. Like her hair is just hideous. Yeah, but well, that, no one would have their hair like that these but days. But they did. Th- th- so, and the, uh, right. she was. I understand your point. Yeah. Beautiful. Like her right. clothing that she was wearing, everything was beautiful of that time. These films were made long enough ago that it's, completely removed from today's society that leads into a little fun game i want to play i didn't tell maureen what this, game, what this game was going to be so fun, fun fun i was trying to think of a way to to talk about whether we liked each version and so i came up with this game it's really stupid but here it is should you skip it or slip into something comfortable and sit on the couch and watch it okay so skip it or slip it skip it or slip into something comfortable and watch it on the couch. Okay, so we'll start with the 1937 version. Maureen, what is your overall take? Should you skip it or should you slip into something comfortable and watch it on the couch? I think you should slip into something comfortable and watch it on the couch. This is where it all started, everyone. This was the story that made it famous. This is, I think it's worth watching. It's very old school and like 1937, like it, could be like a history movie, but I think it's worth it. And I think that it was cool to watch the first version that inspired all of the others. And then as you watch the others, you get to say, oh, that was playing off of this or that was referencing that. So yes, slip it. Okay. I'm going to also say slip into something comfortable and watch it on the couch for all the same reasons Maureen pointed out. It's the original. I think if you're going to watch any of them, start with that one and then move from there. Okay, Maureen, 1954 version with Judy Garland. Skip it. I fell asleep so many times. Okay, so I would also say skip this one. And I think this is a little unfair watch to the like movie. The, watch the highlights on YouTube. Yes, but I think it's a little unfair to the movie. And this is what Maureen and I were talking about earlier. The original film ran over three hours long. And the director... Wait, much... we, pause. We had to Google this. Basically, we were just on the couch watching the movie. And you're like, oh, movie, movie, movie. And then all of a sudden, 
a still picture appeared on the screen. While audio was playing behind. Dialogue that didn't really make sense. And then like a new picture and then like zooming into someone's face. And you were like, what the heck is going on here? So Josh Googled it. And what did you find? The director's original cut was over three hours long. The studio said, no, we can't have a movie that long because back in the day when they only had a certain number of actual screens to show the movie on, having a, a movie that was three hours long meant taking an entire screening away from the day. So it meant less money because they could only show it so many times. So they instructed the director to cut about 30 or 40 minutes out of the film, which he begrudgingly did. What ended up happening was when they released the film later for people to purchase on VHS or however they distributed it and now digitally, they couldn't find the footage that they originally cut out. So what they did was they... And they said the way that they had cut it when the director cut it out, like, didn't make sense. It didn't make any sense. So the scenes they cut should have probably stayed in, and they could have probably cut other scenes. Essentially, they didn't have this lost footage, so what they did instead was take still images from, like, press that they'd taken for the film and then put them over top of dialogue. It was so jarring. You basically missed the entire part where they fall in love with each other. Yes. So I would say skip this one as well. Okay, 1976 version with Streisand and Chris Christopherson. Skip it or slip into something comfortable and watch it on the couch. I think you can skip it. And I'm going to say that because the Streisand version and the Bradley Gaga version are more similar. They're both a rock star and a singer. And I like the more modern one better. I would also say skip it. Last but not least, the 2018 version. Slip it. Slip into something comfortable and watch this one. I'd actually say, let me take it back. If you're going to see any of them, see the new one. Because I think to Maureen's point, if you're of this generation, it's going to ring the most true to you. So see this one. And then if you're interested, go back and watch the 1937 version. You can version. rent the 1937 one for like 99 cents on iTunes, right? Yes, you can. Yeah, so there you go. A dollar. And, and the new Star is Born is now available for rent on iTunes. It's also available for rent at Redbox or however you get your entertainment these days. Before we jump into another little fun category here, I just want to say that one of the things that's really fascinating about having watched all of these is because I'm into filmmaking personally and I find this medium so fascinating, it was really cool to watch the film style change since 1937, which was very close to the beginning of like talking films, to the new version where the technology has changed so much. So if you're into that sort of thing, it's fascinating to watch sort of the style of filmmaking change over the different generations. Here's the other thing that I'll add as my like takeaway of seeing the four versions. In the first one, both characters are actors and there's not really a lot that they can show of them doing their craft. So the last three, all of the women and in the last two, both men were singers. And it was just really cool to see these are the production numbers. So we've kind of been ragging on the 1954 version. The thing that I will say that it had was these amazing stunning like huge production numbers where judy garland as the star is on set and she's tap dancing and she's singing and there's choreography it's really cool i think that's probably what made it a little bit too long but that's why i was saying like go to youtube and see the highlights like i think it's worth seeing one of you know one or two of judy garland's numbers i was born in a trunk is one that you can youtube um also her classic song this is one of her hits, The Man That Got Away. Um, and that's really just a stand and deliver. But she's phenomenal. Barbara Streisand is phenomenal. 
and Lady Gaga is phenomenal. And I really liked seeing a, like their unique voice. These are three like powerhouse legend performers, and it was really cool to see them shine. And I think these movies served as a vehicle for that. So the other thing I wanted to talk about before we move into the last fun game is the ending and the suicides. And is it necessary? Not only is it necessary, but like the way that it happened in each. So when I saw the the modern version, and this is all spoilers, obviously. When I saw Bradley and Gaga's version, the only part of the movie that I did not like was the ending. Because basically the way that they set it up is that there's Gaga's producer. And he basically says to Bradley Cooper's character, you really shouldn't go with her on tour. You're going to ruin her. She doesn't need you in her life. You're dragging her down. He says it so explicitly that like basically what you feel like is he's like you should go kill yourself she'd be better off and then Bradley does it and I felt like that cheapened it I felt like he was already struggling and that we didn't need to see the producer so explicitly tell him it made me feel stupid as an audience member like the like they thought I was dumb and that I wouldn't pick up on it and they didn't do that in any of the other versions in all of the other versions I guess maybe in the 70s version, there is a conversation with the manager, but it's not as explicit. But in the first two versions, he overhears her basically saying, I'm leaving the movies. I'm not going to sing anymore. I'm not going to perform because I care about him enough and he needs me and I want to be with him. And he makes the decision on his own, which is so terribly sad and obviously coming from a place of, you know, not thinking clearly and, and being, you know, depressed and suffering from alcoholism and those mental illnesses, but he decides on his own, in his own current state, that he's going to, he drowns himself in the first two movies, and he drives his car, you don't really see what, but he's basically like speeding and he's gets reckless. into a car accident in the third movie, and Bradley Cooper hangs himself, which is like, in my mind, it kind of took it to the next level, but the point that I wanted to make was that the way that they treated this very delicate and very important part of the movie I think they handled it better in the first two movies than in the second two. The struggle is between the Norman character and the Esther character or the Jackson and the Allie character. And you see them making sacrifices in their in whatever rational state they think or irrational state they are in. You see them trying to make the best decision for each other. And I feel like in this last one, the manager scene just ruined it for me. Okay, I knew you were going to bring this up. And it was also really hard to watch. Like, I almost don't know if the suicide needs to happen. I think they could just break up or he could leave her. Like, it was really, and I guess maybe they're just trying to make a point, but it was hard for me to watch in all of these. I knew you were going to bring this up, especially about the most recent version. And because I rewatched it so recently, as in earlier today, I was paying attention to this point really clearly. Okay, so the manager in the most recent version is very explicit when he says you can't be with her and so you should basically leave. But what I realized this time is that while the manager clearly wants them not to be together, I'm not sure he had intentions of, of him killing himself. He didn't know his backstory that Bradley Cooper revealed when he was in rehab to the, the person at rehab that he had tried to kill himself when he was younger. So while he knew he was an alcoholic, I don't think that the manager knew... I guess there's something... It seems more pure to me for the male character to hear his love saying, I'm going to give up my true talent and my true like love of the well, stage here's for the other him. Thing. Here's the other thing. I think that scene is more indicative of filmmaking in the 30s and the 50s where you had this almost like serendipitous moment where oh my gosh he was just happened to be in the right place yeah, to overhear just happened to wake up that, from his, that yeah. just doesn't happen 
in real life. And I think it's more realistic that someone might come and explicitly tell you, you are screwing up her life and you need to leave because otherwise she's not going to be able to flourish. To that point, I think it's a little bit more realistic that someone would come and explicitly tell him, stop messing up her life. And he just took it to the extreme because he was struggling with all these demons that the manager character either didn't know or was oblivious to. Or didn't care. Or didn't care. That's fair. Okay. Let's move on to a fun game fun, to, fun, fun. to wrap this up. So there was a 30s version, there was a 50s version, there was a 70s version, and then there's a, a 20 teens version, 2018. So it happened like every 20 years, and there was no version in like the late 90s when there should have been like 20 years after the Streisand version. So why wasn't there? Leo and Kate Winslet. No. That's no, what I want. No. Okay. Forever. Okay, so... I thought, let's do a fun little casting game here of who would have been in the 90s version of this film had it been made and who might have directed it. So I pulled a couple actors and a couple actresses and a couple directors, and I'm going to run them by you, and I want your take on who we should cast in this 90s version of Star is Born we never got. Okay. Okay, for actors. Try to pick only dramatic actors. I tried to pick actors who were in their late 30s, early 40s, which is about the age of Bradley Cooper right now. He's in his early 40s. So here's who I came up with. Denzel Washington, Daniel Day-Lewis, Russell Crowe. Blur. Okay. Russell Crowe. Before, before, I know you I knew you were going to say that. Before you, think about like late 90s, early yeah, 2000s. Yeah. He was like in good shape. Was this before Les Mis? This was ugh. way before Les Mis. And, and also keep in mind that he plays guitar and sings. Now I don't. I'm not saying it's well, but he has a band, and so no, those I don't are my hear him those are my three those are my three choices. Um, I'm gonna or, go or with, you can or no, you can come up with someone with, else. I'm gonna go with Daniel Day Lewis because he like is that like dedicated actor to the extreme, and I think he could bring a lot of life to that role. I'm gonna go with Russell Crowe. I actually think late '90s Russell Crowe could have pulled this off, and I think he would have been. I don't want to hear him sing ever. Okay, Ever well, that's again. fair. That's fair. I don't want to hear him sing Les Mis, but I think he could pull off a role like A Star is Born. I don't know if he would be the director and the writer, but I think acting in it, I think he could have done it. All right, actresses. Who would play the Esther? Who would play the Allie character? I'm sorry, could we get some like Richard Gere? Could we get someone with a little more like okay. sex appeal? You think Richard Gere? I think of those three, Denzel probably has the most sex appeal. Yeah, but I think, yeah. Daniel Day-Lewis like, nah. And Russell Crowe, I don't know. Here's what I did to find actresses. I went back and I looked at all of the best new artist winners at the Grammys in the 90s and all the nominees. And I pulled a couple that I thought might be good. So let me run these by you. So they're all singers first. But I want to see if you think they could have held their own in a film. Cheryl Crow, Alanis Morissette, and Brandy. Alanis Morissette, absolutely not. She would be like, it would be, it would just be a total departure from... There has there in all four of these women characters there's been like this demure innocence and like excitedness and like zeal for life and I don't think Alanis could have done that. I'm gonna go Or with, you can or you can Well I'm gonna someone. go with Brandy a la Cinderella. I mean Brandy was like powerhouse music, but she also could handle her own acting. I was gonna say like nineties, I would be wanting some like Britney Spears or Christina Aguilera. See, I think they'd be too young at this point. And Brandy's even a little young on the young side. She would have been 
20 at this point. So I think she would have been at the young, the tail, the younger end of what we would consider for this role. But what I think Madonna? she could have pulled it off. I guess she missed her chance to do yeah, this. Yeah, I think she would have been too old. Because at I was this thinking point. about her in the Barbara Streisand version, how like she should have had one of these. Yeah. Evita? Like, oh, come on. I think Madonna would have been too old at this point to, to effectively Ooh, yeah. play like the young. Could we do young... an early 90s version? We could, but it wouldn't follow the pattern of like okay, every 20 years. 37. To 54. That's 17 years. 76 plus 17. Okay, fine. Would be 93. So it'd be anywhere yeah. between 93 and I want Madonna. 2000. You think Madonna? Okay. Eh, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to go with Brandy too. I think she would have been really good in this. And I think she could have held her own acting like you said. Okay. Last but not least, who would have directed this movie in the late 90s? I came up with three. James Cameron. <laughs> no, I don't think. This blockbuster event. I came up with uh, Spielberg. Scorsese or Clint Eastwood and I put Clint Eastwood on here specifically because he was actually attached to direct the most recent one for a while I say Spielberg I think I would go with Spielberg too but I also think Clint Eastwood might have been interested in the 90s as well not with that cast okay well that's Clint Eastwood would have been interested in the 70s version or the today version I don't think he would have been interested in the 90s he wouldn't have been interested in Russell Crowe and Brandy starring in A Star is Born That pairing together he would, have been, would be... he would have picked Russell Crowe. And he probably would have picked Cheryl Crowe. The Crows. <laughs> okay. All right. Last thing. Is this going to keep getting remade? Are we going to see another version in 20 years? And... I hope so. Another quick question. Will it ever be made with the genders reversed? So will we ever have a female aging star and a young up-and-coming male star? Would it work as effectively? Or with genders the same. Or with genders the same. I don't know. I think part of the reason that it is so effective in the traditional sense is because, especially in the first two versions, the in society at that time, the man was the breadwinner. The man was the, right? So, like, this was also, like, a very emasculating thing when he's answering her phones for her. I don't think they did that in the Bradley Cooper one. They didn't. So, it's already become passe. But basically, in the first three movies, there's a scene where he's at home because he's not working. And she's out. And she's the big star. And he gets a phone call at their house. And he answers it. And he's like, no, I'm not her secretary. But he's, like forced to take her messages all day and that was something that was really emasculating whereas today i don't really think it necessarily is because obviously our gender roles i'd take your messages any day honey are moving thank you honey obviously gender roles are moving in the right direction of more equality so yeah i i think it i think it could work i think it would be different i think it would be a different story but i think it would be interesting stay tuned in 20 years if we're still doing the podcast i definitely want to see more of these though if we're still doing the podcast Maybe we'll, maybe, what if I Episode made one? Episode 2000. <laughs> what if I made one? What if I made the next Star is Born in 20 years? That'd I could be, be really I could cool. direct it. That'd be really cool. Okay. Let's move on to teasers. That was a fun Star is Born conversation. Maureen, I'll kick it off this week. My teaser is a documentary that is one of the nominees for best feature documentary at the Academy Awards this year. It's called Minding the Gap. It's by a 30-year-old filmmaker named Bing Liu. This film follows two characters, two real-life people in Rockford, Illinois, and they're both skateboarders, which is what the film seems like on its surface. It seems like it's going to be a skating movie, but really what you learn is that it's really about fatherhood. It's really about domestic violence. It's really about race in the Midwest, and it's a fascinating, fascinating study of different people in the Rust Belt in Illinois. And I highly encourage you to watch it. Bing Liu sort of inserts himself into the film about halfway through once the 
once the themes of the film start touching on domestic violence because you learn that his stepfather had beaten him as as a young child and so it's really interesting to see him put himself into the film in a really natural way it doesn't feel it doesn't feel fake in any way it doesn't feel like he was just trying to force himself in but the stories that that it does tell are really interesting and as a father of a young child myself i found it especially interesting to watch people's reflections on fatherhood and how much the father's influence can have on their child as they grow up. So it's available on Hulu right now if you want to watch it. It's about an hour and a half long. I highly encourage you to watch it. It's a very, very good film. I want to watch it. Okay. All right. My teaser is the Hidden Brain podcast from NPR. I hope that I'm not mispronouncing this, but the host is Shankar Vedantam. And he uses science and storytelling to reveal the unconscious patterns that drive human behavior, shape our choices, and direct our relationships. That's from the website. I stumbled across this the other day when I tried to go to the gym and my iPad would not connect to the internet and I couldn't do anything except listen to a podcast. This one had been recommended to me. And the most recent episode that I listened to was all about virtual reality and the satisfaction we get from that. As in someone is happier scrolling Pinterest for 30 minutes than they are actually like working on redoing their bedroom. That it's like enough to be closer to something or to envision something. It's like how you can watch YouTube videos for like hours and hours and not actually accomplish anything, but you feel as though you have or that you've learned something. It's really fascinating and really well done. And I told Josh she would love it. And I think you guys should listen to it too. All right. That's our show for this week. Enjoy the Academy Awards this Sunday. And we'll be back next week with our full coverage of the show. Thanks for listening. You can leave us feedback, comments, or questions on each episode by going to vernacularpodcast.com slash popcast. We would love to hear from you and would especially love to hear what you want to hear about on the show. You can also reach us by emailing the podcast at vernacularpodcast.com. Please also subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. We put out a new one every Friday, and if it's not too much trouble, please drop us a rating or a review. It helps other people find our show. We'll be back next week, as always, sitting cross-legged on our bedroom floor with a brand new episode. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. You can't stop every five minutes to answer an email from your boss at 9 o'clock at night. She's chatting me. But she shouldn't be working either. It's 9 o'clock at night. Look, I had a bad day at work. Just let me take the win. Then you can say you're welcome and say, good night. See you in 12 hours.